Yes, and good morning. Thank you so much. Hey, good crowd today, and we are very glad that you are here today. We had a wonderful first service, had a great time in the Sunday school hour uh, listening to the mission report. I know some of y'all had small groups. I know y'all had a great time, and here we are once again uh, in, in the sanctuary of the Lord to hear the word of the Lord and to worship Him. Well, we're in this wonderful series, and it's called Interest-Bearing Principles, and the, and the tagline is Better Giving yields better living. And there's so much truth in that. Now, now last week uh, we talked about, I would say we were talking about your gift to the Lord. And we, uh, today we're not going to mention the T word and we're not going to mention Malachi chapter three. All right. And, uh, but yeah, it, it was how we could give back to the Lord. But I hope today, I hope today that God is going to give you a gift. And I hope the gift is not my speaking, but the truth that we're going to share today from the Word of God. I was genuinely excited about the, the uh, literature, the material, not literature, the material. And, and as I was studying it and getting it ready for the final presentation, it just excited me. And there's one thing I'll share with you later on that really just, wow, is my moment, is what God gave me um, in this message. And, and like I said, it was just really, really exciting. Well, listen, let me start off with some numbers. I like numbers because numbers are like a Matthew and, and numbers are their own language. And they really say things like, and this is, and you'll see how this ties in, in just a moment. Did you know that in America, the average credit card holder, the average credit card holder um, has a debt load of $5,769. The average person who owns a credit card carries a debt load of seven or $5,769. And the way I read the material was, the, the website, it was not like that's a household. That was per person. So theoretically, that means that the average household carries unsecured debt, credit card debt of some $10,400. And that is a lot of debt. That's a lot of debt. And then, um, just talking about generally debt, um, in whole, the, the average person, again, it said person, so we're assuming it's not a household, is uh, $56,000. 56000 let me get up here, $56,653. And again, if you put that in with a two-person household, then all of a sudden that becomes you know, $112,000 of debt. And that doesn't include mortgages. That's just things like cars and things like that. You say, well, Dwayne, that just, you have got some wrong information. Well, think about it. You know, you know we want a new truck, and that truck can be anywhere from fifty or forty to $70,000 easily. And then we have to have a second car, and then that's a small SUV, and that's thirty-five dollars or $40,000. Um, and then we have a couple of toys thrown in there, or we, we have new windows for our house, or we need a new roof um, for the house. Um, and then you throw in that $10,000 of credit debt, and who knows? There might be a couple of student loans in there somewhere, and all of a sudden you see that that, that $10,000, uh, you know, that $112,000 is very reasonable and that's quite a debt load. It really is. It's a debt load. And here's the crazy thing. Um, Dave Ramsey says that 78% of people live from payday to payday. 
In other words, you know, they, they stretched their living from payday to payday. And if there was a, something happened, the transmission goes out of the car, um, the washing machine breaks down or something like that, there is just no reserve for that. And they find themselves in a financial crisis. So it's really difficult. In fact, it's kind of interesting. It's less than 25% of adults in America are what we call debt-free. So, so those are some startling numbers, and they fit in with this. With this, because our sermon title, obviously, as you can read, is Finding Peace in Your Valley. Now, I know, I know, we normally think of valley as dark places. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But, but it also, uh, my brother in law said a long time ago, he's so right, you know, people live and grow in valleys, not mountaintops. We prefer the mountaintops, but we live and grow um, in the valleys. So the word valley here um, signifies where we live, what, what reality is. Um, you might remember an old Western show, I think it was called Big Valley, and they had this big spread, you know, of cattle and all of that, and that's where that family lived. So in our case today, the valley is where we're living at in today's world. Not a bad thing. It's where we live, okay? But then we've got this finding peace, and the numbers now take on significance. That, that 56, 63, that, that 10,400, that, that 56,653 doubled twice over. 78% of people living paycheck to paycheck. If a disaster was to happen, oh no, what would we do? All of a sudden, that makes a lot of sense. So the question is, how can we find peace? How can we find contentment? in the valley, in the place we are living. And that's what the message is about today. And I hope it will be a gift. I'm just excited that hopefully somebody's going to own this today and it's going to, make a, it's going to be a game changer for you um, in your life today. Well, you probably saw the Disney movie. It had the dwarfs in it. And our first teaching point this morning, you know, we have I owe, and you've probably seen a bumper sticker with this on it. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And that's so true that the debt load that we carry in life is so large. We have to make sure we stay healthy, can go to work, so we can pay for the things that, that we need for life and have for life. We work ourselves literally to death to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even know or like. And that is so often true. You've heard the saying, I'm keeping up with the Joneses. Have you ever wondered who the, well, Peggy Jones is right over here. You can talk to her after church. She is the one we've been trying to keep up with all these years. All right. No, no. Actually, that's a, that's a uh, idiom of, of the human language. And, and actually, it's in the dictionary. I looked it up on Collins Dictionary. And keeping up with the Joneses simply means this. We do something to show that we have as much prosperity and money as someone else. So if your neighbor buys a new car, if you keep up with the Joneses, you go buy a new car. If your neighbor buys a boat, you buy a boat because you want to give the illusion or perhaps the fact that you have as much as the Joneses have. So that's where we are. But wait, but wait. We, I want to tell you that there's a bigger satisfaction because, you know, the truth is, you know, the things that we own and park in our driveways don't always bring satisfaction. Look at this next teaching point. There is, there is a satisfaction. There is a contentment. There is a peace that cannot be bought at a store or parked in our driveways. Okay. And you know what the cool part is? 
is the, the satisfaction and the peace I want to share with you, the contentment I want to share with you, does not come with a payment book. Now, I know, I know, in the days of internet, you, a lot of y'all know what that is, but I remember in 1981, we bought this Subaru car, and, and they gave us this little book. And it was a little, it was about that big. I didn't know exactly how big it was. And boy, it was about that thick. I don't know how many payments it was, but it was a chunk of payments. And every month, Judy would tear off the, the tab, you know, the, the payment tab, and then put that in with our check and send it to the finance company to pay for our car. And that's just how we did things. Well, the satisfaction I'm talking about today does not come with a payment or a payment book. Okay? Here's what Jesus said. Blessed happy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, say it, satisfied. They shall be content. They shall be full. They shall be full. Jesus said this in in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 35. He said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. Again, of course, he's not talking physically. He's talking spiritually. So, so he said, he's saying there really is a satisfaction that can bring contentment into your life, and that is such a big, big deal. Now, now Paul, in 1 Timothy 6, he, in, in chapter 6, he's got two chunks of Scripture that, man, we should teach in colleges about doing money. That's how good it is. And we want to touch on just a little bit of that today. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, though, he throws this up. I mean, this is great. What is it, six words? You know, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So we've got this godly factor, godliness, and then we've got this contentment, and then we have the result of it being great gain. And what we want to do today is we want to dissect that verse. We want to take a look at godliness. We want to take a look at contentment and see what is that great gain. And here's a spoiler alert. That great gain was the thing that God said, Dwayne, I want you to see this. And I went, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'll tell you why in just a moment. All right. So let's look first off. What is godliness? What is godliness? Well, our teaching point says it pretty well. Okay. Godliness results. I, I, I didn't, I write this stuff and then I don't like it. Okay. I like the word happens better. Okay. So godliness happens when our actions and attitudes line up with God and his word. And then I realized, oh no, I got that wrong too. You know, not only should it be happens, but it really should be our attitude and actions. Because see, what happens is when we change our attitude, we change our actions. See, actions don't change our attitudes. It's the other way around. Our attitudes change our actions. So godliness happens when our actions or when our attitudes and actions line up with God and His Word. And that is the key. That is the key. This is why it's so important we know the Word of God. This is why it's so important we do more than just read the Word of God. We let the Word of God soak into us us. Um, y'all, some of y'all have heard of Dave Ramsey. I think he happens to be a really a good man with a great ministry. Um, his story kind of sets up who he is. Of course, he's a financial guru, a Christian financial guru, and he teaches pi- uh, Financial Peace University. He teaches people you know, how to get out of debt and stay out of debt. 
And it's a big deal. And he knows from experience. He was at a very young age, 25, 26 years old. I think he was out in California and through real estate, buying and selling real estate. Before he was 30 years old, he was a multimillionaire. And then one day the bank called and called his loans. And he went from being a multimillionaire to being flat broke. As Judy said, selling books out of his trunk and his marriage hanging on by a thread. It was serious. Bankrupt. Millionaire, multimillionaire, bankrupt. Fine for bankruptcy. Along the way, he decides to do things God's way. Not only with finances, but also with his life. And so he surrenders his life to God uh, through Jesus Christ. And then he starts doing money principles. He reads and finds out that the Bible has a lot to say about how to do life with money. Okay? You know, you know, in fact, did you know that Jesus taught more about hell and heaven, or excuse me, more about money than heaven and hell combined? How crazy is that? Let me say that again. Make sure you got it. Jesus taught more about money than he did heaven or hell combined. Well, the bottom line is he started doing things God's way. And now, yes, he is a multimillionaire again. But more important than that, he has a huge, huge. Can somebody say huge? Huge ministry reaching out and helping people to find peace in their valley through doing things God's way. So godliness happens when our attitudes and actions line up with God and his word. And what does that look like? What does that look like? That looks like less stress. Can somebody do with less stress? Yeah, I think so. Um, fewer regrets. Oh, boy. Can you look back in your past like yesterday and wish you had not said or done something? And then smaller consequences. And that's where godliness will lead you. Less stress, fewer regrets, and smaller consequences. It's a, it's a huge blessing, okay? You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9, Paul writes this verse, and it's so good for the topic of godliness. Here's what he says. And I like this, and you'll see why in just a moment. For the training of the body has limited benefit. Now, all you non-exercise people, I need to hear an Amen. Because you know, your doctor tells you you need to exercise. Your wife or husband tells you you need to exercise. Your children tell you. Oh, but you say, but there's a verse. And the verse says, don't you know that, that the training of the body has limited benefit? Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because, honestly, I do exercise very regularly. And, yes, I do listen to my wife. I do listen to my doctor uh, trying to make sure I stick around um, a while. But, but see the word limited benefit. But for so many people in our culture today... This is huge. You know what the average American spends on physical fitness in America? $155 a month. That's gym memberships and treadmills. And, and you know, treadmills make great clothes hangers. Have you figured that out? You know, we, we see all this equipment on TV, and it's thousands and thousands of dollars, and we buy that stuff. And then, of course, usually we don't use it. We, we join the gym, but we never go to the gym. And some people, when they go to the gym, they talk. They don't really exercise, you know? So, so that's how it is, all right? So, so the, the training of the body has limited benefit. But, 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 he says, godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life. In other words, in other words, this, this godliness factor has something for us. That's why I was so excited about this message. Oh my goodness, Lord, you're going to give them a gift today. Someone is going to receive at least the information to help their, make their life better. 
to make their life better. Someone's going to receive the information today on how to make their life less stressful with fewer regrets and smaller consequences. How wonderful is that? But, but there's more since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, this, this plays into the factor of hearing Jesus say, well done. So this godliness thing, you know, you know, can we say it again? You know, you know, Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain. So this godliness thing is huge. It's going to give me a better life here and a great reward later in heaven. Now, we struggle with this. Now, of course, culture don't even want to hear this, but even Jesus followers struggle with this. Tim Keller said this in a quote. He said, you know, sin grows um, when we think we deserve something from God. Okay? Um, it's the, you know, God, I, I found this verse in the Bible, and it says, if I do this, you have to do this. We, we, put, we paint God into a corner and say, see, God, see, look, I found this. Now, it's probably taken totally out of context, but, but God, see, I found this verse, and it says that, that you have to do this. And that's where sin grows. With that kind of environment and thinking pattern with God, that's where sin grows. But look what he says. He said, godliness grows when we understand that we are debtors to God. We under, when we understand again, oh, wow, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When, when we understand that and grasp the truth of that, that, that God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we understand how much God loves us, it helps us want to grasp the truth about godliness and, and you know, consequences and fewer regrets and all that. It helps us and it desires us to do that. Let me read some verses to you. I'm not going to preach them. I'm just going to read them. Okay? The first one is Proverbs 37, 16. Proverbs 37, 16. It is better. Now, can someone say better? Uh, let's try that again. Can someone say better? Yeah, 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 okay. So it is better than, it is better to be, I love, don't you know that song where it says, nothing is better than you? Oh, what a great song. You know, it is better to be godly and have little. Oh, it's better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. Now, we don't grasp the word evil because you say, Dwayne, I'm not evil, you know. Well, we all probably at one time or another act ungodly. So, so we'll put that in there. It's better to be godly and have little than to be ungodly and be rich. In fact, we can go better than that. It is better to be godly and have little than to be less godly and be rich. In other words, it's just possible the more godly we are, the better our life is going to be. The word better. Proverbs 15, 16 says this, okay? Proverbs 15, 16, better. Can somebody say better? better. Are you catching on yet? We're going to do this several times. Yeah, yeah. Better, better to have a, what, what's this better thing? Well, better is always better than not better. Better is always better than not better. Better to have little than have fear. And you know this, but in case you don't, you know, this is not the, oh, God's going to zap me if I don't do this. No, this is like respect. Okay? It's better to have little with respect for the Lord than to have great treasure and live in inner turmoil. How about that? 
It's better to respect the Lord. How about Proverbs 16, 8? 16, 8. Proverbs 16, 8. Go ahead, Eli. Throw that one up there for me. Proverbs 16, 8. There we go. Oh, there it is again. Better. Can somebody say better? Better, Better, yeah. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Better. Better a little with righteousness than great income. You know, there's a great verse ties in, you know, a quote with C.S. Lewis. I mean, this is like one of those ones you need to write down. You know, he said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. You know, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Yeah, that, that verse, that verse. You know, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. You lose on both counts. So as believers, we need really to aim at heaven and then let God take care of the earth part of it. It's amazing. There's one more verse. It's Psalm 84.10. I love this verse. 84.10 says this. A single day in your courts is it's better than a thousand anywhere else. So, so what he's saying is this. You know, a single day with God is better than a thousand days in Hawaii. A single day with God is better than being in Bali. A, a thousand, excuse me, a, a day with God is better than a thousand days anywhere else, he says. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper. Now, the gatekeeper was a minimal, uh, yeah, minimal task, okay? Uh, and I don't think I'd be bodying scripture. If you think it this way, it will help you. I would rather be a toilet cleaner. I would rather be a toilet cleaner in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. It's better. This godliness thing is just, just better. So godliness then, what is it? Godliness is to line our attitudes and actions with God and the word of God. Okay, that's godliness. And the benefits? Less stress. Fewer regrets, smaller consequences. That's got to grab your ear. That's got to grab your ear. Okay, so what about the contentment thing? That was godliness. What about contentment? Well, let's look at our teaching point. Our teaching point says this. Contentment is that oasis. Now, let me paint the picture. You're in the desert, you're dry, you're thirsty, and you're overwhelmed. And you see something in the distance, and it's palm trees and, and palm bushes. And so you start heading toward this, this spot of green and a world of brown. And you get there, and lo and behold, right in the middle of these palm trees and palm bushes is this pool of spring of water. And you drink deeply from it. It satisfies your thirst. Okay? So contentment is that oasis it's that green in, this, in, in a world of brown where we discover that God is enough and his provision is enough. That what made, that's what made that song so special. There's nothing better than you, Jesus. There's nothing better than you, God. You're enough. You're enough. Contentment is that oasis where we discover that God is enough and his provision is enough. Listen to this. When we have nothing less left... When we have nothing left but God, 
we realize that God is enough. Isn't that good? When we realize we have nothing left but God, we realize God's enough. Check, check out Hebrews 13, 5, the second part. You know, the author says, be content with what you have. Be content. We're going to talk. Be content with what you have. And he, look, you see what he says? For he has said. Who's he? Well, it's God or Jesus, whichever one you want to throw in there. Okay. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In this crazy world of our valleys, in this crazy world we live in. So, so God says, be content. Why? Because you got me. And I am, I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. When the doctor comes in with a bad report, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. When you find out your spouse has been cheating on you and your heart is so broken, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Students, when it seems like your life is really messed up, and I know sometimes it does seem that way. You're young, but you're in some really bumps sometimes. You know, Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. How incredible, how wonderful is that? I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So contentment then is this oasis and it's realizing that God is enough. And I think it said, you know, his provision is enough. That what God gives you is always enough. What God gives you is never not enough. Uh, let me say it another way. There's a, another teaching point. It says this. Put another way. The secret sauce, the secret sauce for contentment. This is worth writing down. The secret sauce for contentment is knowing, believing, and living two things. Number one, the sufficiency of Christ. Number two, the insufficiency of the world. It's knowing, it's believing, and living that Jesus is always enough. And, and, and this will help you, the world never is. See, Satan will whisper in your ear and say, oh, man, if you had this, you had that, you'd really be happy. And God knows that. He don't want to give you that because, man, then you'd be happy. And you'll be like, that's bunk and it's a lie. Believe this in your heart. Jesus, not church, not religion, not doing better, not keeping the rules. Jesus is enough. He's sufficient. And never will the world enough. That will help you because you understand no matter how difficult it seems, no matter how hard your word is, you know, your world is and sometimes it seems like with Jesus' cross, it's a difficult world. No matter even that, just remember this, the world is never. The world will never be sufficient. Even it looks like if the world looks more attractive than Jesus ever did, don't believe it. It's a lie. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. So always remember that Jesus is enough. I love, I love Philippians 4.12. Have you heard I like a lot of scripture? I mean, that's the thing about being a preacher. You get to teach your favorites, you know. But in Philippians 4.12, a great verse. Now, now when, Paul, when Paul writes this, guess where he is? In prison. He's not only in prison, he's in a Roman prison. Okay? It's kind of like being, he's not in a county jail. He's like Menards. Okay. Is it Menards? What's that prison up there? It is Mars, okay. 
Okay, yeah, whew, boy. You know, so, okay, so he's in, a, he's in a hard rock cafe, okay? Here's what, here's what Paul says in prison. He says, I know how to make do with little. He goes, so, so when I've got so little in my hands, I, I've learned to make do with that. And then he said, oh, and I also know how to make do with a lot. That's us, isn't it? Sometimes we have a little and sometimes we have a lot. And Paul said, I've learned how to do this. He said, in any and all. Somebody say, any and all. Yeah, any and all. Any and all. Any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content. And that word learned is a really cool word. Called back, you know, where Paul was at, okay, in the culture he was at, there were all these secret things going on. on you know, and and these, these pagans would have these secret initiations. That's the word Paul uses. He said, I've learned the secret, okay? But his secret is I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And we're all going, oh, 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 tell me the secret, Paul. Tell me the secret. Boy, you know, I, sometimes I have a lot, but a lot of times I have not enough, and I'm not satisfied, and I'm not happy, and I'm not content. Oh, Paul, please tell me the secret. And you know what's funny? It's probably one of your favorite verses. I know there are people who say, oh, this is my life first. You know what it is? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How about that? This translation, I am able to do all things. The secret, listen, listen. Paul's saying the secret is Jesus. The secret is not, please excuse me for saying this again. The secret is not church. The secret is not religion. The secret is not denomination. The secret is not just reading your Bible to read your Bible for reading's sake. The secret is Jesus. The secret is reading the Word of God to let it get into your life, into your heart, into your soul. Because here I am sitting in prison. I've learned how to do it with a lot and little. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you the secret. I can do all things. All things. Through Christ who strengthens me. How incredibly powerful is that? Then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, just a, a verse down. He says this. And can I be really Because this is the big one for me. I'm being transparent. This is the big one. This is one of those verses when you're lining up the scriptures, you know, you're going to teach. You want to skip this one. I'll be honest with you. Look what it says. You know, we have food and clothing. We will be content with these. Can I be honest? You kind of go, God, you want me to stand up and tell people that? In the world we live in where there's so much stuff. You want to tell me that you want us to be content with just food and clothing? That's not going to sell, God. And then I wrote this down. If tomorrow all you had were just the essentials. If, if tomorrow all you had were just the essentials. Let's, let's go ahead and throw food, clothing, and we need a place to live, so we're going to throw a house of some sort, shelter in there. Would you or could you be content? 
If tomorrow you woke up and all you had was the essentials, food, clothing, and some kind of shelter, could you be content? I wrote a word down. You know what that word was? Freedom. Freedom. Because I'm not the only man in this room who worries about the future. All my retirement is tied up in the stock market. And if the stock market crashes tomorrow, I could be stuck with the essentials. And when God spoke to my heart and and told me what to teach here, he said, Dwayne, there's freedom in this. If you know you can be satisfied with just the essentials, and by the way, God's an essential, it takes all the worry out. It takes all this. I was scared. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? But if all of a sudden that is removed from the factor, and, and if all and God is saying, Dwayne, be, be sad, be content. There it is in 1 Timothy 6 8. Be content with food, clothing, and we'll throw shelter in there. Listen, be content with these. If you're content with that, all that stress goes away. All that stress goes away. Because I believe God's going to give me food and shelter and clothing. And I believe Jesus is enough. And Satan can snort and roar and hell can do try to do its thing. But each one of us Christ believers, we're in his hands. And he's going to take care of us. So I, this was just, I said, oh God, that's what you're trying to tell me all along. I don't have to worry about what car or all I have to do is trust you. And you will take care of me. There was a, a saying from Henry David Thoreau. And trust me, I have never quoted Henry David Thoreau. But it was pretty good. He said, A man is wealthy in proportion to the number of things he can afford to do without. Let me say that again. Should have made a slide for it. A man is wealthy in proportion, in measure, to the number of things he can afford to do without. In other words, if I figured out that I can be content with the essentials, all of a sudden I'm pretty wealthy. If you measure wealth with what you have, if I have all that I need and Jesus too, I'm a pretty wealthy dude. Yeah. Now listen, don't let me down on this. The first service laughed a little bit. This teaches the same truth. It's just a little humorous. Here it is. A Quaker, and you know Quakers have very um, simple lifestyles. So a Quaker happened to look across the field, and he saw a new neighbor moving in. And he stood and watched as this neighbor carried in TVs and furniture and toys and all these different things. He was just amazed at that. And so finally he walks over to his new neighbor and says, Hello, neighbor. He said, If thouest, that's how they talk. Um, If thouest find that you need something, come to see me. And I can tell you how to do without it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's a lot of truth to that. See, what we do is, again, we keep up with the Joneses, 
And we, you know, they get, and so we feel like we need to get. And we carry that, that burden, and there's no peace in our valley. And God wants you to have peace in your valley. He wants you to have peace in your valley. And you find it with godliness. So lining our attitudes and actions up with God and his word. We find it with contentment, allowing uh, God to be that oasis, that, that God is enough and, and his provision is enough. Let that be in the oasis in your world of round. And you have this great gain of letting God be enough. Being satisfied with the essentials, if that's what he chooses to send your way. So our last teaching point is this. Never, never let the presence of stuff become your God. You know, did, you know, did you know, and we'll probably teach this maybe next week, maybe not. Um, also in 1 Timothy 6, you know what it says? You're going to like this one. It says, God has given us all things. Somebody say all things. Yeah, yeah. God has given us all things to richly enjoy. I thought God was against stuff. No, he's not against stuff. He's just against stuff getting you. He's not against stuff. He just don't want stuff to own you because you belong to him. You belong to him. So never let the presence of stuff become your God or the absence of stuff define God's love. If God loved me, I would have more. Oh, dear friend. If you've got Jesus, you've got it all. I mean this. If you've got Jesus, how could you long for anything more? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Let let me give you one more nudge. And this is a great quote from Andy Stanley. Here's what he says. You know, giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It is an investment. Somebody say amen. Amen. You know, giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. And when we choose to follow Paul's formula of godliness plus contentment is great gain, okay, that's an investment. That's trusting God for your future. And there's no better thing to do. Don't put your hands... Don't, don't put your lives, don't put your future in the hands of the stock market and the governor or some company's plan. Always leave it in the hands of God. Now, perhaps you're here today and you've never chosen to listen to the call of God in your life to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, for a lot of people in this room, it's occurred, and for some, it's a long time ago. Um, I'm telling you, the best decision you'll ever make is to choose Jesus. It's an investment that just keeps giving and giving and giving. It's a principle. When you invest that principle of faith in Jesus, the interest is unbelievable. It's an interest-bearing principle. It keeps on. And so my friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and man, we would love to tell you about Jesus. We really would. And then for the chunk of us, I hope this will be a game changer for you. I really hope. Um, I was thinking... Judy, and I don't know if we could do this or not, it may be time for us to teach the Financial financial Peace University again. Because I'm telling you, when we're carrying that kind of a load, it's heavy. It's hard. It's hard. 
And if we can help you deal with your debt load, I know that's something that would help. And I hope we started today. I hope we started. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you were so good today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's good to be with our family and friends today. You're so good, Father. First, I want to pray for my friends who might be here without Jesus. Would you let today be the day they discover the wonders of grace and forgiveness? We pray for them to have the courage to step out and take Brent by the hand and choose Jesus today as you choose them. Father, thank you for these, these folks, God, who choose to make Dorsville their home. Thank you, Father, for them. And Father, I want to pray that they'll be sure they have peace in their valley. That they'll find the contentment and the godliness that you want them to have. Father, help us be a good church family and help them in any way that we can. Because you want us, Father, in this world, in this world, to have that contentment and that peace. So I pray we'll embrace the teaching today. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity and this time. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.